Welcome to another episode of the Powerless to Powerful Recovery Podcast. My name is Jason. I'm an alcoholic and addict. As always, our mission is to share experience, strength, and hope across multiple media platforms. The story of addiction and the road to recovery. We're not affiliated with Alcoholics Anonymous or any other 12-step-based organizations or groups in any way. Today's episode, we're going to be exploring steps 8 and steps 9 found on page 76 in the big book. You know, every time I work with a guy for the first time, usually they're going to tell me the fear they have associated with making amends and how is it going to be different than all the other times? How could it possibly be more effective and how could it possibly be different after you've said sorry so many times? And the first difference is it's not a I'm sorry, it's an amends. I'm going to end this episode with a five-step amends process that I use with all my relationships and I continue to help guys in theirs. And remember, the steps can be described in relationship form. Life is a series of relationships. Steps one, two, and three is a design for you to develop a relationship with God. Four, five, six, and seven is for you to develop a relationship with self and figure out who you are. Identify your weak items in your personal inventory. Get honest about you in, in five. Come up with your identity in six and reaffirm that decision and be humble and have God help you to remove those character defects and keep them feet moving quicker every single day and continue to take that action. But steps eight and nine is designed for you to rebuild relationships with others. Ten is the maintenance of relationship with self. Eleven is the maintenance of relationship with God. And twelve is the maintenance of relationships with others. So you can describe the steps in relationships uh, format, if you will. But this is the opportunity that we have to clear our side of the street. We always think that it's for the other person. And and sure, I want to be forgiven by my mom, my wife, and my family. Sure, absolutely, because they're important to me and I love them. And it's important that they forgive me and we're able to build a meaningful relationship. All the amends process is doing is giving you the ability to create a platform for some momentum going further in the future. The whole point of the amends is to make an amends, put some corrective action behind it, and not repeat the behavior again. So we're going to explore that in the big book, and we're going to kind of sit, and remember also too, remember that the steps are just like school, man. You're not going to go from being in first grade to being a senior. Everything is designed, each step is designed for you to grasp a principle, grasp a tool, find a deeper connection to a higher power, and continue to progress through these steps so when you attack each step vigorously, you're able to do them effectively. And that's the whole point. That's why they're eight and nine. And previously, if you're like me, the only type of program you ever worked was steps one and step nine. That's it, one to nine. Yep, I'm powerless. You got me. Can't lie my way out of this one. Busted, unmanageable, straight to the amends. I'm sorry. It don't work like that. It just doesn't. So we're going to explore what the big book says. I'll be reading through the big book. And again, I'm going to end the episode with a five-step amends process and kind of give you an idea of what that really looks like and how to do it effectively. So this chapter is going to talk about domestic problems with the wives. It's going to talk about family problems. It's going to talk about court problems. It's going to talk about owing money. It's going to talk about those main areas of your life and give you some suggestions on how to handle them effectively and ultimately to make a true amends. So we're going to look at that today. So we're on page 76. So let's look at steps eight and nine. Now we need more action, which we find that faith without works is dead. Let's look at steps eight and nine. We made a list excuse me, of all persons we have harmed and to whom we're willing to make amends. We made it when we took inventory. 
So basically our list comes from all the people in our four step, all the people in our fifth step. We've already wrote all their names down. Sure, there might be some other things, some institutions, um, some stores, some businesses, some other family members that were just specific harms that we did, that there wasn't any resentment, any fear, anything that came from the fifth step. There might be some other people, but we've really identified that list. Now, when you're working with me, what I have you do is I have you make a list of all the people that you've harmed, and I have you break it into three categories. The first category is the ones you can make now. In-person, letter, phone call, visit, email, uh, you know, um, social media message, whatever that looks like. The ones you can do now. Then we make a list of the ones that are going to have to wait, They're, that you just can't see, you don't have their information, you don't know where they're at. And then the third part is going to be living amends. Now, I'm not going to go out there and try to find girls that I previously harmed in previous relationships because my wife probably wouldn't be too happy about that. So that will be a living amends to all those other women. And what that will mean is I will treat my wife in the best possible fashion and be the man that she wants me to be and the, the father that I could be to our daughter, contribute to her relationship, sharing decisions with her, have joint action, be honest with her, an open communication and genuine concern for her. And in doing so, I'm making a living amends to all the other women out there that I've harmed. So we got three categories. So we make that list and that's what it's saying. And most of those names will come from our personal inventory. We subjected ourselves to a drastic self-appraisal. Now we go out to our fellows and repair the damage done in the past. We attempt to sweep away the debris which is accumulated out of our effort to, to live on self-will and run the show ourselves. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask until it comes. Remember, it was agreed at the beginning we would go to any lengths for victory over drugs and alcohol. We got to be willing to go to any lengths and it includes making these men's and being disciplined. And having perseverance and being able to continuously do this on a day-to-day -day basis. When I harm someone, I clean it up immediately. I don't harbor a resentment. I don't carry those character defects that come from it. I immediately clean it up. And that's the whole point. In the amends process, we own our wreckage. We sweep off our debris. Everything that we've done, we own it. And the whole point is, is to not repeat those same behaviors again. But we're human and we will. So when we do, we got to clean it up immediately. Probably there's some misgivings as we look over the list of business acquaintances and friends we have hurt. We may feel difficult about going to some of them on a spiritual basis. Let us be reassured. To some people, we need not and probably should not emphasize a spiritual feature on the first approach. We might prejudice them. At this moment, we're trying to put our lives together. But this is not an end in itself. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about it. If my very life depends upon the constant thought of others and I how I help may help meet their needs, if nothing so much will ensure immunity from intensive from drinking and drugging than intensive work with other alcoholics, if my purpose is to be helpful to everybody, to get out of self, to be of service, I could identify God's will in three ways. One is to be selfless, two is to live in character asset, and three is to be positive and live with gratitude. So my job is to put myself in a position where I can serve my higher power the best way. And I have to go out and clean these, these relationships up. It's seldom wise to approach an individual who still, still smarts from our injustice to him and announce that we've gone religious. In the prize ring, this would be called leading with a chin. Why lay ourselves open to being branded fanatics or religious bores? We may feel, kill a future opportunity to carry beneficial, beneficial message. But our man is sure to be impressed with our sincere desire to set the right wrong set right the wrong 
he's going to be more interested in demonstration of goodwill than in our talk of spiritual discovery. So when we go to these people, it's not like I found God, he entered my heart, he performed a miracle. I have this connection to him. Sure. If that's going to be most effective for you, then absolutely. But for the most part, this is just creating momentum. Our actions will speak louder than our words and they always have, but our feet have to match our lips. If I'm going to say something in the amends, I have to back it up with footwork and I have to back it up with with action steps to follow behind it. That's what makes it different because I've made amends. I've said sorry to everyone in my family so many times and I'd repeat the behavior most of the time the same day. That just doesn't check out. That does not work. That's what makes it different. We don't repeat it again and we follow through. That's what's so important. He's going to be more interested in our demonstration of goodwill than our talk of spiritual discoveries. We don't use this as an excuse from shying away from the subject of God. When it will serve any good purpose, we're willing to announce our convictions with tact and common sense. The question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. It may be he has done us more harm than we have done him. And though we may have acquired a better attitude toward him, we're still not too keen about admitting our faults. Nevertheless, with a person we dislike, we take the bit in our teeth. Pay attention to this. It's harder to go to an enemy than a friend, but we find it much more beneficial to us. We go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit, confessing our former ill feeling and expressing our regret. Man, it's the the most rewarding amends that I had to make were the people that I didn't want to do amends. You know, I had to go to visitation when I was on the yard. I got sober in prison. If you guys have been following this podcast along, you know my story. I had to go to visitation and apologize, excuse me, make an amends to every single cop in there for my behavior. And I didn't want to do it. But it was the most beneficial one that I did because I was able to get out of self and do something that made me uncomfortable, be vulnerable and own my own my part in the damage that I had caused and losing my visits. And a miracle happened, man. They gave me my visits back early. My brother came so I could make an amends to him. I was supposed to be non-contact. They gave me my visits back early. My family came. I made amends to them. I mean, it was just a snowball effect. Man, it was just so powerful to be a part of. So the most beneficial ones are going to be the ones we just don't want to do. Under no condition do we criticize such a person or argue. We simply tell them we will never get over our drinking and using until we've done the utmost to straighten out the past. We are there to sweep off our side of the street, realizing that nothing worthwhile can be accomplished until we do so. Never trying to tell him what he should do. His faults are not discussed. We stick to our own. If our manner is calm, frank, and open, we'll be gratified with the results. So when we go to make these amends, it's not for me to say, yeah, I, I, I did these things to you. You didn't deserve to be treated that way, but you did this. That kills the whole message. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter how they respond. It doesn't matter if they don't want to talk to you. Remember, this step is the willingness step. Became willing to make amends to them all. The key word is willing. In nine cases out of 10, the unexpected happens. And that was really true for me too. Nine times out of 10, the amends that I made, the unexpected happened. Sometimes the man we're calling upon admits his own faults. So feuds of years stand melted away in an hour. Rarely do we fail to make satisfactory progress. Our former enemies sometimes praise what we are doing and wish us well. Occasionally they will offer assistance. It should not matter, however, if someone does throw us out of his office. We've made our demonstration, done our part. It's water over the dam. So if I go to somebody and say, hey, I need to speak to you. I'm not going to get over my drinking, my using. If I don't make this amends to you, are you open to hearing it? And they say, no, beat it. 
then that's I've done my part. Those are the easy ones. Thank you. I've done my part. My demonstration of goodwill. I was willing to do that. I took the action steps and I'm okay with that. I've cleaned my side of the street. Now we're going to talk about owing money. That's the first topic it's going to really address through the reading. So most alcoholics owe money. We do not dodge our creditors, telling them what we're trying to do. We make no bones about our drinking. They usually know it anyways, whether we think so or not. Nor are we afraid of disclosing our alcoholism on the theory it may cause financial harm. Approached in this way, the most ruthless creditors will sometimes surprise us. Arranging the best deal we can, we let these people know we are sorry. Our drinking has made us slow to pay. We must lose our fear of creditors no matter how far we have to go, for we're liable to drink if we're afraid to face them. I can't have any fear associated with this. If I owe money, I got to pay it. So I would usually suggest to any of the guys that I work with, if you owe somebody money and you're making a financial amends to this person, you better come with money. If you don't have all of it, you better come with some of it. That's what makes it different. It's not like, hey, dad, I'm sorry. I know I told you I was going to pay you back. I owe you that amends. You didn't deserve to be treated that way. I'm going to pay you back, though. No money in hand, and I never pay him back. It's the same old, same old. There has it, This has to be different. The way it's different is it's followed by actions. So if we owe money, we got to pay it. If we have creditors, we got to call them. We got to set up payment plans. We have to own our lack of ability to be financially responsible due to our alcoholism, the alcoholic mentality that we have. Because if I duck and dodge one creditor just from that one experience, now I'm living in, uh, my motives are in the wrong place. I'm manipulating. I'm being dishonest. I'm being selfish. All from that one event. Those are the perfect storm of character defects that I need. And when I live in those long enough, I want to change the way I feel again. So it's so important. If we owe money, we pay it. If you owe somebody an amends that's financial, bring some money with you if you can't pay it all. Now we're going to talk about criminal offenses. And the most important part is willing in this portion. So let me read it and I'll explain it to you. Perhaps we've committed a criminal offense, which might land us in jail if we were known to the authorities. We may be short in our accounts and unable to make good. We have already admitted this in confidence to another person, but we're sure we'd be imprisoned or lose our job if it were known. Maybe it's only a petty offense, such as padding the expense account. Most of us have done that sort of thing. Maybe we are divorced and have remarried, but haven't kept up the alimony number one. She is indignant about it and have, has a warrant out for our arrest. That's a common form of trouble, too. Although these reparations take innumerable forms, there are some general principles which we find guiding. This is the most important part about the criminal offense aspect that we're discussing now, found on page 79. Reminding ourselves, we decided to go to any lengths to find a spiritual experience. We ask that we be given strength and direction to do the right thing, no matter what the personal consequences might be. We may lose our position or reputation or face jail, but we are willing. We have to be. We must not shrink at anything. So now am I going to go down to the courthouse and say, here I am. I committed these crimes on such and such day. No, absolutely. I'm not going to do that because it's going to affect everybody else around me and it will cause more harm than good. Remember, the whole point is, is to own our past, but not create any new harm, not only to ourselves but to the people that we love around us. But I am willing to do absolutely anything it takes to maintain my recovery. That is a 100% fact. Whatever that looks like, whatever God puts in my path, because remember, he takes care of the outcomes and I trust and have faith. And it's an undeniable fact to me that when I live in his will, miracles happen in my life. And if this was part of his plan for me to have to do more jail, to, whatever that looks like, I'm willing to do anything because I don't want to go back to active addiction. 
I just am unwilling to let that go and go back to those old behaviors. So I am willing to do whatever it takes today to maintain this new identity and this recovery and keep that obsession to want to change the way I feel, the mental obsession, the physical allergy to keep that in check. Because remember, what we have is a daily reprieve. A reprieve is a stay from execution. This is from step 10. This thing wants me dead on a day-to-day basis. I have to maintain my spiritual condition. And that's what I do on a day-to-day basis. And when it comes to making the amends, I'm willing to do whatever I got to do to maintain that. So the key is willingness. So here's a story about the willingness about a criminal offense, talking about alimony. Usually, however, other people are involved. Therefore, we're not to be the hasty and foolish martyr who would needlessly sacrifice others to save himself from the alcoholic pit. A man we know had remarried. Because of resentment and drinking, he had not paid alimony to his first wife. She was furious. She went to court and got an order for his arrest. He had commenced our way of life, had secured a position, and was getting his head above water. It would have been impressive heroics if you walked up to the judge and said, here I am. We thought he ought to be willing. There it is. Willing to do that if necessary. But if he were in jail, he could not provide nothing for either family. We suggest he write his his first wife and admit his faults, asking for forgiveness. He did and also sent a small amount of money. He told her what he would try to do in the future. He said he was perfectly willing to go to jail if she insisted. Of course, she did not. And the whole situation has long been adjusted. So there it is. I got to be willing to do whatever it takes. We handle it in a healthy way. If we owe money, we when we make the amends and we ask for the forgiveness and we do that process, we bring the money with us. We make the first payment. We stick to that payment plan and everything gets worked out. But I'm willing to do whatever it takes to maintain this identity that I have today. That's the most important part. Before taking drastic action, which might implicate other people, we secure their consent. If we have obtained permission, have consulted with others and ask God to help and this drastic step is indicated, we must not shrink. This brings to mind a story about one of our friends. While drinking, he accepted a sum of money from a bitterly hated business rival. Giving him no receipt for it, he subsequently denied having received the money and used the incident as a basis for discrediting the man. He thus used his own wrongdoing as a means of destroying the reputation of another. In fact, his rival was ruined. He felt that he had done a wrong he could not possibly make right. If you open up that old affair, he was afraid it would destroy the reputation of his partner, disgrace his family, take away his means of livelihood. Right? What right had he to involve those dependent upon him? How could he possibly make a public uh, statement exonerating his rival? After consulting with his wife and partner, he came to the conclusion that it was better to take those risks than to stand before his creator guilty of such ruinous slander. He saw that he had to place the outcome in God's hands, or he would soon start drinking again, and all will be lost anyhow. He attended church for the first time in many years. After the sermon, he got up and made his explanation. His action meant widespread approval, and today he's one of the most trusted citizens in the town. This happened years ago. So we consult the people in our lives, our support system, our sponsor, the the people in the recovery community, our wives, our family. We consult them. We talk about needing to get over this addiction and being willing to do whatever it takes and seeing what the best route to, to take. But God takes care of the outcomes, and if he places it on my heart to handle it in such a way, and I'm living in his will, then I do it, and I cannot shrink at anything. That's the most important part. Because if I do, and I start to fall back in self-will and character defects and old behaviors, then just like it said there, all will be lost anyhow. So now we're going to transition into domestic problems. There are chances that we have domestic troubles. Perhaps we're mixed up with women in a fashion we wouldn't care to have advertised. We doubt if, in this respect, alcoholics are fundamentally much worse than other people. But drinking does complicate sex relations in a home. 
After a few years with an alcoholic, a wife gets worn out, resentful, uncommunicative. How could she be anything else? The husband begins to feel lonely and sorry for himself. He commences to look around the nightclubs for their equivalent or something besides liquor. Perhaps he's having a secret and exciting affair with a girl who understands. In fairness, we must say that she may understand, but what are we going to do about a thing like that? A man so involved often feels very remorseful at times, especially if he's married to a loyal and courageous girl who's literally gone through hell for him. Whatever the situation, we usually have to do something about it. If we are sure our wife does not know, should we tell her? Not always, we think. So when making these amends with, for me personally, when making these amends with my wife, I mean, she knows everything, right? She's known everything. She's been through everything with me. She, I mean, I just did eight years in prison. She rode that out with me and she supported me. She loved me even when she shouldn't, even when people in her life who she cared about told her not to. She followed her heart. She did it anyways. When I make these amends to her, my goal is to not just say all these hurtful things, whether she knows them or she doesn't know them. It's not my job to say these things, to save my own sobriety for her, to harm her. So does she need to know the specifics of it? Do your parents need to know the specifics of it? That's for you to decide and understand. I'm going to explain that in the five-step process at the very end. If she knows in a general way we've been wild, should we tell her in detail? Undoubtedly, we should admit our fault. She may insist on knowing all the particulars. She'll want to know who the woman is and where she is. We feel we ought to say to her, we have no right to involve another person. We're sorry for what we've done, and God willing, it shall not be repeated. More than that, we cannot do. We have no right to go further. Though there are many justifiable exceptions, and though we wish to lay down no rule of any sort, we have often found this is the best course to take. Our design for living is not a one-way street. It's as good for the wife as, as for the husband. If we, if we can forget, so can she. It is better, however, that one does not needlessly name a, a person upon whom she can vent jealously. Perhaps there are some cases with the utmost frankness is demanded. No outsider could appraise such a situation. Only you know the best way to make amends to your wife. Only you know the best way to make amends to the mother of your child. Only you know how to make amends to your mom and your dad. Only you know, and it's your job to sit down with your sponsor and find the healthiest way to do that. And again, I'm going to give that process at the end. Each might pray about it, having the other one's uh, happiness utmost in mind. Keep it always in sight that we are dealing with the most terrible human emotion, jealousy. Good generalship may decide that the problem be attacked on the flank rather than risk face-to-face combat. So now we're going to transition into talking about the family. And this is especially critical. If we have no such complication, there's plenty we should do at home. Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say the only thing he needs to do is keep sober. Certainly he must keep sober for there will be no home if he doesn't. But he is yet a long way from making good to the wife or parents for whom years he has so shockingly treated. Passing all understanding is the patience mothers and wives have had with alcoholics. Had this not been so, many of us would have no homes today, would perhaps be dead. Just staying sober is the bare minimum. That is the bare minimum of recovery, and especially with our families. If we expect to get an attaboy because a pat on the back because we're sober today, sure, they're hopeful, sure. But that's the very bare minimum. And it's going to continue to demonstrate that as we continue to progress in our recovery and we make these amends and we start to rebuild this trust. And when life happens, when our ego starts to come in, when our parents question us, when someone says anything and ego creeps in, they're just waiting for us to fall back in character defects and say, see, we've done this so many times. They're hopeful. They hope this is our time. They hope that this is going to be lifelong. They hope this is a forever thing. But because of my previous history, my the data shows 
that I got a high probability of relapsing. And I got to understand that, man. I just have to. And that's what it's going to go continue to go on and say. The alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken. Sweet relationships are dead. Affections have been uprooted. Selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking when he says sobriety is enough. He's like the farmer who came out of his cycle and seller to find his home ruined. To his wife, he remarked, don't see anything the matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand the wind stopped blowing? Yes, there is a long period of reconstruction ahead. We must take the lead. A remorseful mumbling that we are sorry won't fit the bill at all. We ought to sit down with the family and frankly analyze the past as we now see it, being very careful not to criticize them. Their defects may be glaring, but the chances are our own actions are partly responsible. So we clean house with the family, asking each morning in meditation that our creator show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindliness, and love. The spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. Unless one's family expresses desire to live upon spiritual principles, we think we not ought to urge them. We should not talk incessantly to them about spiritual matters. They will change in time. Our behavior will convince them more than our words. We must remember this. 10 or 20 years of drunkenness will make a skeptic out of anyone. So like I said, man, like they see the progress. They can see the look in our eyes, the tone of our voice, the things that we speak of, the people who love us. They know something's different. They know it's changed. But because of 10 or 20 years of drunkenness, man, they're still skeptical. And that's okay. And I tell you right now, from my own experience, that period of reconstruction will be a heck of a lot quicker than you think, but it's all about actions. Words don't mean anything anymore. It's all about the person we become and what they see in us. And when we feel like we're getting defensive, we fall back into old behaviors, then we're just giving them some ammunition to say, see, I told you, he hasn't changed. That's what's so important. We cannot break character at all, ever. There may be some wrongs we can never fully write. We don't worry about them if we can honestly say to ourselves we'd write them if we could. Some people cannot be seen. We send them an, an honest letter, and there may be valid reason for postponement in some cases, but we don't delay if it could be avoided. We should be sensible, tactful, considerate, and humble without being servile scraping. But as God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anyone. I'm not begging anyone to forgive me. I'm not getting down on my knees and begging you. I'm owning my part. I'm owning the wreckage of my past. I'm owning the harms that I've done to you. I'm validating your emotions and I'm recognizing that I harmed you and I caused these things and I could assure you that they're not going to happen again, but I'm not bowing down to you. I'm making amends because as God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anyone. You hear the promises at the end of every meeting for the most part. You see them on all the walls and they're referred to as the nine step promises that the ninth step promises, and here they are. So remember, as God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anyone. In doing so and making these amends and creating an identity and one that we can be proud of, establishing that relationship with God and understanding how to apply his will and the belief that we've established in step two and making a decision in step three to let our footwork reflect his will, the identity, the person we want to have, these morals, these values, these spiritual characteristics, knowing the action steps are on our part in this 50-50 relationship and our higher power takes care of the outcomes. And moving on to forward, understanding the severity and the fatality of resentments and learning some tools on how to start the healing process and to see our part and to treat people as they're spiritually sick and to pray for them. If they're just words and you don't mean it, do it for two weeks. Do it anyways. Pray for everything you want to be given to you, for yourself to be given to them. That's the resentment prayer from page 552. 
and destroying our chance of being helpful. We know that our life depends upon the constant thought of others and how we may help meet their needs. So we're starting to understand that, right? As we continue to progress to these steps and we get to the fears and we see the insanity of self-sufficiency, how it feeds right into our fears and fears touch every aspect of our life. We're on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. So I start to establish what God's sufficiency looks for, looks like for me. And then I get to the sex inventory and ego's deflated. And I start to see exactly what I need to change in intimate relationships. And I start to understand how to have meaningful ones. The fifth step, I get honest. I lay it all out in the line. The sixth step, I'm developing my identity, appreciating that I actually have assets And then I'm also looking at the character defects and I go right into the seven step prayer and I'm able to reaffirm that third step decision in the seventh step. And I'm able to have some humility to know that I'm teachable, I'm coachable, and I got a lot of work still to do, but that's okay. I'm removing the objectionable from step six. So as I get to eight, nine, and I make these lists and I break it up into categories and I start to make these amends and through doing so, these promises start to materialize in my life. And here they are. If we're painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we're halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past or wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity. We will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We'll lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They're being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if you work for them. If you're putting that work in, you're suiting up and you're showing up every day and you're disciplined because that's the principle associated with the ninth step is discipline because the amends will be a lifelong process. Just because I make these amends, I'm, I'm human. I'm going to do things. And I'm going to owe another amends. I will cause harm. And the most important part is to clean it up immediately. And that's what it's all about. But I got to be disciplined to do it. The people I can't see, the people in my categories, the ones from step eight that I've made that list, the ones that have to wait, if they cross my path, I have to be willing to make that amends immediately and be disciplined enough to do it. So the easiest way that I could explain the amends process is in a five-step process, right? So the first thing I want to do, number one, is going to gain consent. I need to speak to you. Are you open to hearing an amends from me? Would you mind meeting up with me for coffee? There's a very important part of my recovery. I won't get over my using or my drinking or this alcoholic mentality until we have this conversation. Are you open to hear it? So gain consent. That's the first part. The second part is going to be, I was wrong when I. Now it's for you to decide and to determine whether you're going to use character defects or you're going to be specific about events. And only you know which way to do it with each family member or each friend or each person in your life that you own amends. Only you know if you need to be specific about the situations or if you need to use character defects or a combination of both. So for me to make amends to my mother and my father, right? Just saying that I lied, cheat, manipulated and stole from you just ain't good enough. Just isn't. They already know that. I got to be specific with my wife. Maybe more character defects would work better for her. She doesn't need to know the specificness of it, even though she already knows it. But to bring those painful memories back up might cause her more harm. So I'm going to use character defects. So it's your job to sit down with your sponsor. And the second step of that, I was wrong when I, you're going to determine if you're going to use the specificness of the event or you're going to use character defects or a combination of both. The third part is 
There may be other ways that I'm harm you that I've harmed you that I'm unaware of. Please let me know what that is. Are there any other ways that I've harmed you I'm unaware of? Please let me know. And then you shut up and you listen. Because it's a high probability that there is. It's a high probability. And you shut up and you listen. And you validate their feelings and you let them talk and you listen to them and you say, I understand. You didn't deserve to be treated that way either. That's the third part of it. And the fourth part of it is, is there any way that I could right these wrongs? Is there anything I can do to right this wrong? I'm willing to do whatever it takes. No matter what it is, we do it and we follow through on it. That's the fourth part. And the fifth part is the action steps that are going to follow. And this is what I always say, because it's the truth. Just making an amends doesn't make the past or the harm right. It doesn't mean they automatically forgive us. It doesn't mean that these things go away. But what it is doing in the fifth step of this process, all it is is creating momentum for the future. And I could assure you, mom, I could assure you, my wife, I could assure you, my brother, my dad, that I will never harm you or offend you in any way or anybody for that matter, as long as I continue to work this program, put God first, as long as I continue to maintain this identity, as long as I continue to put one foot in front of the other each day in the right direction, as long as I continue to live in gratitude and maintain this spiritual nature. As long as I continue to let my actions show the love I have for you, I will never harm you or anybody in this way. I hope this is the beginning of the healing process for our relationship. So whether you're going to use all those characteristics that are all part of your recovery to recover from this thing, to be a recovered alcoholic and addict, whether you're going to say all those things or just one of them, but you're letting him know that all this is is the beginning to repair our relationship. Watch my feet, not my lips from here on out. And that's what it's all about. There was no sorry in there. First step is gain consent. The second step is I was wrong when I. The third step is there any other ways that I've harmed you I'm unaware of? Please let me know. The fourth step is how could I make it right? And the fifth step is this is the beginning. Watch my feet, not my lips. I'll never harm you again as long as I continue to maintain the person that I am today. And that's how we make an amends. It's not an I'm sorry. It's an amends and it makes it different. But really hold yourself accountable to whether you're going to be specific or you're going to use character defects. And remember, the principle associated with this step is discipline because we're going to be at this for a long time. But remember, as God's people, we stand on our feet. We don't crawl before anyone. If you own amends, make it.